Rob, are you? Uh, He's probably searching for earbuds. Headphones. I just put in uh, earbuds. Earbuds. The wow. uh, the dog that plays basketball. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> earbuds is great. That reference was the worst. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So I was on uh, TV yesterday. Oh, promoting a podcast. Yeah, in a manner of speaking. <laughs> I thought it was what? time. It was time to finally put together a new episode. Explain TV. Was this just you recording yourself on a cell phone <laughs> and then putting it up on YouTube on a TV? It's internet television. No, yeah, it's real TV. Might be real. It was called Catholic TV. This is the day. It was a morning show on a Catholic TV station based hmm. out of Boston, but I was told by one of the hosts that it's broadcast across the nation. Um, it was fun. I think it was shout out to Kelsey Cronin, a listener who I think probably hooked it up because she listens to the podcast and they kept the two hosts for these kind of classic Boston, uh, middle-aged dudes. One was an auxiliary Bishop and the other a layman. And it appears that they had been together for a long time because they just had a really great rapport. Uh, hmm. but they kept saying, you know, this young lady, uh, Kelsey, she, you know, she listens to these podcasts. So, Father, you're a young guy. I mean, what, what, are, how are you reaching people with this internet? <laughs> you know, it's kind of that sort of feel. Yes. So it was great. Got the word out a little bit. That's Maybe awesome. we got some new listeners listening right now. Shout oh, out cool. to you, Boston. Mm-hmm. Well, so why did they? <laughs> shout out to you, Boston. <laughs> why did they have you on? Uh, I think just like shows have people on that are kind of just throwaway guests i don't know i was first up it's kind of nice i mean did they say like this is, we, we just want to have a priest of chicago or how did they um you know how morning how shows they are they're like you? uh have you ever seen a, a squirrel water skiing well you're about to you know just looking to fill time <laughs> i think that kelsey probably hooked like oh this would be an interesting interview you know it was like literally five minutes you can I put it on my Twitter page. You can look at it if you want. Oh, cool. Have you guys actually seen the videos of the squirrels water skiing, though? <laughs> of that course. Is, honestly, that, <laughs> that is, is pretty incredible. amazing. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, I might have seen it on a morning show. <laughs> surprisingly, I have not. I think I've seen pictures of it. Wow. <laughs> How did they do that? How are squirrels water skiing? <laughs> I think they, did, they start by boogie boarding or however you normally start, and then you work your way up. Gosh. Well, Boston, this is what you signed on for. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Is Boston the silent guest of today? The entire city of Boston, yeah. What about just the band, Boston? Could we have them on? Whoa, cool. (laughs) So, Mike, you're moved in into the parish. I'm I'm moved in, yeah, and I got to say, hey, so is this season 12? Or what season is this? I don't know. I was was debating (laughs) that. Now that we have this new app, which... uh, Mm -hmm. Technically, this should sound good. Can hey, we whatever. start counting seasons in Spanish? Oh. Is that uh, Epoca Diez or whatever? Or just Season Uno. Season Uno, okay. Like or do like the, the iPhone. iPhone, just skip nine and go straight to X. I was actually going to advocate <laughs> that we skip a season and just someday when people look through our transcripts, it can be like the lost season, man. People will be searching for that thing. I think I we I think we had that idea at some point. No, I think we Maybe actually back in did the lost that. season. No, I, you tried to convince oh, in me the to lost do it. Season. Mm. No, I legitimately think we did that. Maybe we did. <laughs> we do have like two more seasons than years that we've been doing this. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure at one point we just decided, oh, it's a new season now. If, if I had happened. to go back and renumber the episodes, I wouldn't have even done seasons. I think I would have just said zero zero one zero zero two what no so much of the title gets taken up with these long words season episode oh my god anyway this is inside this is not interesting to your average listener especially a new bostonian listener Mm. that's we're usually better than boston (laughs) 
Yeah. Okay. So, hey, before we get going, listeners, it's totally my fault that it's been, how long has it been? Months or at a least, month? Yeah. At least months. At least months. Um, I totally slept in on a scheduled podcast. Um, well, this is recording a date. Yeah. It was very unprofessional. So, but in my defense, I was coming back from California and had just taken the flight back and I was all, it was, it was a, a fun time, but it was like, I was just kind of traveling all over the place, helping with formation at these different kids camps. It was a kids different camps. time. Yeah. Um, it was back in so, your early yeah. second year of priesthood. Yeah. <laughs> it was many, many weeks ago. Actually, not even that that many weeks ago, but I have felt really bad about that because I, I miss talking to you guys. And yeah, I missed you guys too. I missed you uh, guys too. Yeah. I thought about that a couple times. Mm-hmm. I did have a couple listeners say like, "Hey, what the heck?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Connor, it's his fault." <laughs> it was my fault. Actually, yeah. Shout out to uh, Martha Griswold, but I talked to her yesterday and she was ready to riot. So <laughs> and that was those were her words. Doesn't that make you feel good? It does. It does. Yeah, just some good old-fashioned, just simple violence, you know, to get us, you know, podcasting again. Just for the sake of violence. Hey, the ends justify the means. I would also pay large sums of money to watch Martha Griswold riot. I just, like, watch her try to flip a car or something. Like, it's just a Molotov cocktail. Martha Griswold running through the street. Like a torch or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> listen it happened one time okay one time speaking of martha um i went up to north dakota to the focus new staff training oh nice shout out to meet my team which oh, i don't cool. mean to make you green with envy rob but I well do, i do have a team ahead. of missionaries coming next year ah that's awesome who that's are awesome. rock stars cool. yeah shout out to daniel ryan mallory and monica my team of four missionaries who are going to take UIC by storm. Hey, if you guys want to come work for a real chaplain, (laughs) you just drive five hours south any day. If you're heading to Portugal, Mike, let's do south. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What are we going to talk about? (laughs) Yeah. So, hey, so that's it. I'm all moved in. Actually, that's not even true. I still have a bunch of boxes. We can tell you're in an echoey, empty office, dude. Yeah. I haven't moved any of my books in. I have books in in the bed of my truck right now. And I have almost the whole rectory moved in. I got to still buy a couple pieces of furniture. But it is so cool. I like, I love being here. And the pastor has been great to me. Um, just getting to know the people and meeting all the different committees and groups and people who work in the office. And I'm in this really cool city up in North Georgia and it's a ways outside of Atlanta, but it's a, it's a booming parish because it well, for various reasons, but it has its own little culture. And you know, I bet it's maybe a hundred thousand, something like that. The town. Like, mm-hmm. That's sizable. Yeah. That's yeah it's, sizable. it's pretty big. I, that's an estimate, but uh-huh. uh, they got their own AAA baseball team and uh, a couple of universities here, and it's right wow. at the beginning of the Appalachian, so it's like cool hiking, camping, um, just very, as I said, such a cool place, and uh, it's a little ways outside the city, so I'll, you know, I think I've told you guys this, but I'll, I'll kind of be able to settle into the parish and not have to run back and forth a bunch. Having said that, I am going to an Atlanta Braves game tonight in the city with my Sweet. siblings. But, but how, tomorrow's July. How hot 4th. is it in uh, Atlanta this time of year? I it gets. I mean, yesterday was nineties. But mm-hmm. the thing is, it, I, everybody talks about this, but it really does get insanely humid, mm-hmm. uh, and so the heat is just like oppressive. You just go outside and you just start sweating. So, like a night game at the Braves Stadium is is doable. Yeah, it is doable. Yeah. If the sun's still out, well, the the summer nights they're incredibly pleasant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's Georgia. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm obviously biased, but like last night I came out and turned off all the lights in in the rectory 
and the the pastor is um he was doing a a visit into the chancery and so i just turned all the lights off sat down in our backyard and just looked up at the stars and there was super super great star watching so nice just yeah pretty mild outside getting settled in enjoying the people that i'm this meeting. is a bit of an adjustment for you because you haven't <clears throat> really had a home base in a long time i've never had a home and you're really <laughs> one of the most well-traveled young priests i've ever known hmm. you're like focus you're mission trip here <laughs> wedding in sacramento there camp in california here you're just yeah. a, you're a helper guy and now yeah you're gonna be right I, i'm like uh what do they call it a priest um rent a priest yeah, yeah you're a rent a priest <laughs> You're a rent yeah. priest, dude. And I mean, at the same time, it's this is like one of my favorite. <laughs> but now you just have to stay home all the time. You get no. a rocking chair. Yeah. Okay, I almost bought a rocking chair yesterday. <laughs> dude, dude I just went on like a shopping bender. I bought a hatchet. Just <laughs> I saw a hatchet at Home Depot. So I'm like walking around in my collar, just carrying a hatchet. And the lady's like... Hey, that looks pretty dangerous. I'm like, yeah, but don't worry, it's a good kind of dangerous. <laughs> Did you say that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. She was like, uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I was like, yeah, me neither. But um Yeah. So I mean, I'm twenty nine. I have like sixty degrees, and I've lived in my parents' basement for my entire life. And now I like have my own place. To put your and hatchet, so you gotta buy one. Yeah. <clears throat> and let's see what I moved. I had like five boxes, which simplicity really is nice. Uh, it was, it was super easy to move. Well, I'll tell you moving around a lot makes it so you live simply You end up yeah. giving away a lot of stuff. Yeah, for sure. Just by necessity, you can't mm-hmm. just be toting around a bunch of stuff, but so yeah, right. Like you said, this is new and I am excited for it. I, like even last night and just getting to the parish, like feeling the tendency to, okay, I just want to keep running around all over the place. But I had a really great holy hour yesterday in in the church. And it's a beautiful church, dude. It's so nice. And so I just did this giant thesis on like on architecture and church buildings. And the Lord lets me celebrate mass at this beautiful, beautiful place. And actually the stained glass windows were done from a guy in Chicago. Been reading up on some of the history of the architecture up here. And so during the holy hour, just praying in the church and feeling like, okay, I want to choose to settle in to here. And like, I got to, I want to choose to, to quote unquote, slow down. Um, like, so that I'm not running around all over, but like being very attentive to the parish here. Cause I'm a parish priest. Yeah. Like that's what I am. And I've never done that before. So I am very excited for that prospect. Has this very parish cool. had a, uh, had an associate before? Are they, mm-hmm. so they, there's a kind of a job description basically more or less. Yeah. Cause like past- when I went into my parish, there hadn't been one in years. So okay. I was just kind of an extra, like figure out what you, what you're supposed to do now. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. I, the pastor, he, I think he wants me to, um, fill in for some of the things that he was doing, but at the same time, like have the freedom to, um, figure out where I'm needed and what the parish needs as well. And kind of come in, come into it pretty fresh, which is very nice also. So, but you know, now I'm like trying to figure out what books do I want to have in the office? What books do I want to have in in the house? Um, like just like really practical things like that, which is, uh, that's fun. I did an inventory of the things that belong to the rectory and the things that belong to me. Like I remember talking about that in Bama's class and now I'm actually doing it. That's great. <laughs> oh, in Bama's, uh, like parish class. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, or, or maybe that was Smolonic because people will get all caught up and what belongs to who and whatever. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a parish priest trying to live parish life out here. You know what I'm saying? Dude, I hear you. <laughs> You're just the cure de, what's your town? Rome, actually. <laughs> cure de Rome? Cure de Rome, yeah. Yeah, man. yeah. That's it. Where do you guys get, get off? It. Athens, Georgia, Rome, Georgia, Babylon. Hey, what's it? 
it's the classic uh the classic state athens actually is the classic city that's that's what it's known as huh huh, huh. yeah well how's cool, edwardsville man. edwardsville's good yeah it's uh summer's been good and it's a totally different pace and every this is my first experience of like a full summer here but you know the schools are out and we don't do much out at the university in the the summer right now there's just not a lot of students around um so the pace has been really nice i've been working on some psr stuff which is parish school of religion on wednesday nights um at saint boniface here so i've been working on some of that stuff and meeting with marriage prep couples and just stuff like that so it's been a good stretch what about our ebook are we gonna work on our ebook this summer oh dang dude yeah i need to oof I have not, but have I you have gotten one that's almost completed. Oh, nice. Which one? Nice. Um, I don't know if it was on the list, but I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, but I do feel very uh, called to write on this. So it's just Should a I poem s- about sand. <laughs> <laughs> Which what is, what's the rule? <laughs> um, the rule is, um, well, I guess I, I need to say it more. I need to find a succinct way to say it, but. Mm. Mm. I like that. I like that. Say more about it. What'd you What'd you say in the essay? Hello. Hello. Mike. Oh man, we lost Mike. Oh man. Dude, this app. Mike. Uh. Gosh, yeah. She's probably just talking about his essay right now. I have no idea. <laughs> you ever do that with the phone? Yeah, I'm going to try to raise my hand. I'm going to see if that helps. I'm going to resend. Did, uh, did it help? I see. You say, hey. <laughs> did that help? No. Okay. <laughs> Dang it. Um, What was I going to say to you? Hmm. I don't know. I just got done. I we could save this for the cast, but I just got done listening to the Baron Peterson. Oh yeah, interview. How'd you like that? Uh, it's very, very interesting. I thought um, it was interesting. Like, yeah, I, I Peterson. I haven't read like Baron's commentary on it. I think he did his own podcast, like just talking about it. Um, but Peterson just—he's a smart guy, man. But he seems yeah. very hard to like pinned down in my own mind at least yeah Um, i went ahead and listened to uh the following episode a week later uh um, and it was a talk he gave in australia about why he doesn't say he believes in god that doesn't mean he's saying he doesn't believe in god he just doesn't say it yeah um for all sorts of ethical reasons um Mm -hmm. that like basically just say how dare anyone say they believe in god unless they live like they believe in god hmm interesting yeah and it's a like he does hour and 40 minute talks where he just riffs and um yeah it's pretty wild no he's yeah it was it was fun though i mean it seemed i was obviously love love baron and it was it was just cool to to listen to they had a couple very interesting um things like baron's (laughs) definition of faith mike's back did you Hey Mike, is this? Do we still have everybody? Did the recording yeah. stop? No, we're still hey. recording. We're in, oh. I'm gonna leave that all in. Are you? What? I cannot hear Mike. What happened? You, Mike, oh. oh, Rob can't hear Mike. Mike, Mike, say something. Hey, well, oh, we have like a bunch you. of guests here. Okay, yeah, no. Well, why do we have a fourth guest? What's happening? Something's wrong, dude. That's Boston. <laughs> oh my gosh, Boston! <laughs> all right, be quiet. Wait, be so what quiet. happened while I was gone? We started what? talking about Jordan Peterson and. Bishop Barron. Oh, are you serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wait, but so we, we we covered it, dude. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> don't. Yeah. yeah we're we done. summarized I, the entire conversation. Did you listen to it, Mike? Did I listen to what? Barron on Peterson's podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally mm-hmm. did. So what? But it cut off right when I finished that point, and then y'all just moved on? Well, you didn't make a point. You just said... Yeah. Uh, find a place to pray, and I said, "Talk more about that." And you just you and just it was left. gone. <laughs> you just hung up the phone and ran away. <laughs> and then I was the silent guest. Yeah. 
<laughs> ah, yeah, dang so it. That okay, ship well, has sailed. Well, should I? Should we talk about those things, or should we just like write about it and then have people read it? Like we're just yeah, putting good out point. teasers. Good point. You know? Good point. Oh, that's people. That is, people will have to read the free or buy the free iBook. iBook. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Buy the free. <laughs> it's an it's an iBook. <laughs> Dude, I will say this. It was super it's been very fruitful and and enjoyable to to write as well. Like mm-hmm. specifically about these things. Um yeah. so it's a cool combination of experiential but also like giving a reason and a teaching and some like scriptural basis for it and like a theological understanding for 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 a very simple rule that you put forward. Yeah. Um, wow, we're like the Jordan Peterson of the spiritual life, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> oh, really I just, I just wow. made that connection. I've thought that Man. about myself for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Been saying that for years. <laughs> Glad finally that we've declared it. Apparently the world realizes now. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah, um, yeah. So I have a thing. I watched... This great documentary. Have you guys seen Summertime in the Forest? If you say Athos, okay, and continue. <laughs> no, but I will. Uh, Athos is going to come up. But it's, um, <laughs> it's about Jean Vanier and L'Arche, and it's the mm. documentary from Ooh. a couple of years ago about his Paris community hmm. and shows a little bit of the Bethlehem community as well. Um, really cool. Shout out to those guys. I've been there in Bethlehem. To the L'Arche? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It looked like it wasn't residential. It looked like it was just kind of like a day thing. Is oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. it's like very, it's like a very, very humble place, at least that I, you know, the part that I saw anyway. It really reminded like, me why, of... Why don't you uh, explain what it is right quick? Uh, L'Arche? Yeah. Well, Jean Vanier was a, a French-Canadian uh, and started, I think, back in the 60s, uh, these communities where uh, basically half of the residents are mentally disabled and um, half are not and they live in community as equals as brothers and sisters and pray and eat and work uh, together as a family and it's pretty simple but kind of revolutionary especially at the time he was going into mental institutions and hospitals and stuff psychiatric hospitals and taking people out who were basically being treated like prisoners or or lunatics and giving them a new lease on life and it's cool they follow in the movie they follow some of his first friends that he lived with um and they talk about their experience one was from was a baby during world war ii and remembered the paris bombings and um hmm. you know had also suffered all sorts of ostracizing <coughs> as a child because he was not like everybody else and jean vanier kind of took him in anyway l'arche which means the arc in french is uh a community of people there's like 150 different houses and communities all throughout the world <clears throat> there's one here in chicago but they're they're everywhere and um they're great uh, but it's it's one of these things i was thinking about a uh, like a film series with father connor next year maybe in conjunction with our missionaries um have it at somebody's house like how to be human and athos would definitely be on there like just movies about real life people living mm-hmm. intensely uh, a human existence um, not not dehumanized and not softened by all sorts of denials of death or suffering you know like really entering into the human scene the human condition uh, and confronting reality the way it is because I, I think that that's the way that's that's a way that's not argumentative it's not propositional into the reality of Christ who is the truth itself. Um, but when you look at a guy like Jean Vanier, he's not, he's not proclaiming any sort of propositional truth. It's an experience where he looks at another human being and he can see who they are because of Christ. His vision has been changed because of his belief in Christ. So it's not apart from cognitional faith. Like I, this is how I think the world is or who God is. But it's completely informed by experience and vice versa. Experience is informed by faith. And it was really cool. He said there was a couple of great lines. One was, um, he says, the, the wise and the powerful live in their heads and they preach ideologies and, um, you know, they seek to impose those ideologies by power. 
Whereas the weak and the poor are in the dirt, are in reality, the way things actually are. They're not stuck up in like theory and how they think things should be. And they're not seeking after power. They're seeking after friendship. Um, and just, I mean, that's itself is a proposition. It's a, a truth claim. That's just words, except that you see in the movie them doing this, you know, people just being friends and wasting time together, spending time together, uh, and seeing the dignity in one another. It's pretty, pretty beautiful. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. And Vanier's thing is he's, it's also him that talks about like life is a series of life is just a series of saying goodbye. Is that, Mm. that, is that from, I think that might be from becoming human, um, that he wrote, which I never read the whole thing, but I think that's his line in there but that's pretty good words to to that is that that's exactly my very limited experience of a large community and like from what i know of of them is like the transformative power of them is just exactly that of what you see like when you see them or how they see see the world is that there's this like confrontation with that reality of not not trying to belittle or walk away from it all the level of like suffering um, or yeah, just um, you know, kind of like disrepair in a lot of ways that the world world is in. But there's this like, I don't know. There's just this very beautiful acceptance of like human beings, the way they are in that level of friendship that they have, like from what I've seen of those communities and, and Vanier himself, but but also just the reality of like that allows you to like see the world in this like deeply peaceful way. And I don't mean peaceful as like, you know, lack of desire or anything like that, but just like you, they see reality, you know, as it is, which is very, very hard to see, especially when you're, you know, frankly around people with like, that may be in very hard circumstances or may have like very severe disability. Sometimes it's hard not to think like, man, it shouldn't be this mm-hmm. way or et cetera. Um, but there's just, I don't know. It's, it's a very, very beautiful way to see and experience the world. Yeah. Man. Yeah. One of the things I remember reading, I'm pretty sure it was at IPF actually was, yeah, I'm pretty sure they had us read some Vanier. Um, that, the greatest suffering he talks about the greatest suffering that the disabled go through whether it's physical disabilities or mental disabilities or whatever is not necessarily the disability itself but the disability is the thing that oftentimes leads to the greatest amount of isolation and so their cries are not cries from like physical or mental pain but it's like a cry from the soul because Mm -hmm. they're they're external or they're the way that we see them, that's not the problem. The way that the problem is the way we see them keeps us from actually entering into relationship with them. So then the greatest suffering, I mean, imagine that is like you have a disability and it keeps you from enjoying and tasting the greatest things in life, like friendship, relationship, uh, love of another and being able to love another. And so I remember the, like the profundity of him writing about like to be able to enter into another's life um, is basically like the greatest gift that you can give. That's why their whole thing is treating others as equals because it's to say, I'm going to choose to not allow this seeming barrier to act as a barrier, but I'm actually going to live in the reality of a deeper belief and choose to enter into relationship which is the greatest gift I can give to them. And uh, and then, of course, like the flip happens, and it's the greatest gift that they receive, that Vanier would receive, was being in relationship with them. Um, yeah, and I th- I think that's such, a, that's such a profound, incredible idea. So also like pain to realize that there are people who are people, and because of their external circumstances aren't able to taste the greatest things of life. Um, and that's a, that's a real deal pain. Um,
Did we lose Mike again? Dang, dude. Yeah, I think we did. I think his Wi-Fi in his new rectory is bunk. Yeah, all right. We're, he's going to have to leave that parish. <laughs> <laughs> that was right in the middle of another point for him. Know, too. He's, <laughs> he's probably still talking. Mike, you can hear us. Um, One thing that I really liked about the... Well, just Vanier, the way he talks, it's actually... People might balk at this, but it reminds me a little bit of Jordan Peterson's whole thing about tell the truth or at least don't lie. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, I see what I was thinking was, yeah, I really, that's a good connection, but I was, and I think it was just because we were talking about it, but it, it was interesting of like the Baron Peterson thing. To me, it was just this kind of like great back and forth of like Baron would say something kind of as like a Catholic evangelist about the faith or about the tradition, et cetera. And Peterson would most of the time be like, okay, yeah, that's actually deeply in tune with like mm -hmm. a psychological human experience. being, yeah, psychological experience. Mm -hmm. And then like Peterson would kind of get off on like some type of like deep psychology, you know, et cetera. And then Baron would be like, oh, actually that's like deeply related to that's our like origin faith. or, yeah. yeah. And so there, it was just this cool back and forth of like, oh, wow. Even at this level of intellect and exchange, the the faith is as we you know oftentimes claim that it, like deeply deeply in tuned with the human experience which mm -hmm. was cool anyway um Looks but like Mike just talking about, back mikey back yeah sorry about Dang. that guys i don't know what Dude. what's happening is your is your internet pretty lame no it's good internet like it's coming in but it for some reason it seems to be cutting in and out hmm. oh man is yeah. there any way you could just leave that parish if it's yeah, just go to a different church. Yeah, yeah. Let me just—I'll just talk to the pastor <laughs> right quick. We'll figure this out. I'm going to start making serious demands. Listen up, you better give me some high-speed internet. Or 500 megabits per second up. <laughs> do, yeah. do you realize there are literally tens of people in Boston to hear this? <laughs> Maybe 20. Given did you did you consider that? So one of the things. Um, was, hey, and let me finish that point real quick. Oh, yeah, go ahead. The, the Peterson point in the Baron Exchange that I was relating when we were talking about Vanier was just his whole thing on talking to audiences and like calling them to both a noble goal, but specifically through responsibility. Yeah. That's kind of how I heard him yeah. was there's like, if we've made one mistake as a culture, it's to have just completely, at least in our vocabulary and what we try to aspire to is the notion of responsibility and it seems like what he is finding is that people are like hungry to hear that because there's this like realization at a deeper level that that actually is a way to authentic freedom and happiness is this mm -hmm. adoption of responsibility but the thing with Vanier and a large community is that it, they may not like express that directly but they so deeply live that reality that it's like it's just this beautiful expression of that of this like realizing yes as equals with every person that mm. is there and in friendship but also realizing that like you you have a responsibility for each other and not just as like i need to help these people or to save them but like the responsibility is to actually be able to see correctly and like let them help me and accept me as well. Um, I know that's always a like a thing that Vanier, it seems like goes back to is like how they accept him allows him to live at that level. Mm -hmm. And like in a sense, like this is going to sound a little weird, but him accepting that they accept him as an equal like actually is is the door that he is able to stay at that level. Yeah anyway right yeah which is cool because because they do live in community everybody who lives there also has responsibility which which is such a cool act that's like a declaration of what we believe is you no know, like hey you may have you know like different handicaps or disabilities or whatever but you're you also have responsibility here which well, that's is part of dignity having right, dignity it, is having sure. responsibility Oh, for sure. It's a profound way and it's a risk, but it's, 
it's a risk on their human on their humanity on their dignity right mm -hmm. yeah it's, it's so what i was thinking was uh, the thing that stuck with me was his uh how vanier like a good prophet is a truth teller and there's like just one little scene in the movie where one of his buddies andre who uh his dad was like a wrestler or a fighter or something um would talk all about his dad and how much of a he was kind of his hero or whatever, but he was also kind of mean to him. And especially because of his handicap, I think his dad didn't have a lot of patience with him. And, um, John Vanier is talking and he's like, I told Andre, Andre, look, Andre, your father was a pain in the neck. Let's just say it, you know, or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, it's something that I think that the guy was probably trying to, soften in his own mind or maybe it, he thought it might sound bad if he told people that he really didn't like his dad um but there was something freeing about just saying that and then you're able to love your dad for who he is you know um warts and all and then he also had this one part where uh his friend patrick who i think was really severely limited um pretty nonverbal and stuff uh, but he would just like walk around town and buy cigarettes and uh, smoke them and drink and eat. And he said, Patrick, when he eats, he tries to fill up. So therefore, he's, of course, anguished. <laughs> he's like, cows don't aren't anguished when they eat. They just chew their cud mindlessly. But we humans, we're, we're anguished. We're trying to fill up because we're afraid of dying or something like that. And they show Patrick like just mowing down a thing of pudding and going to the next one and um that just i mean like talk about honesty and how you know confronting the reality as it is you know that these people are human and part of that is that they experience the same kind of suffering which is the suffering of existing and not being god as mike said a few weeks ago like you can't you you're helpless and so um what he talks about near the end after the Bethlehem community scene is um, about that power versus friendship thing, you know, and what it means to be human. He's like, if, if being human is just about imposing by power your ideology and what you think the world should look like, then we'll just end up killing each other. But if it is, um, if it's compassion, which means fidelity to the weak, because the weak are the ones in touch with reality they're the ones in the dirt so to speak who have no recourse but to seek friendship and dependence on others like that call the best out of us if we are faithful to the weak um then you become human slowly it's not overnight but like it's through little things like washing a person or feeding them or taking care of them um you wake up to your human nature and the dignity that you have as the image of god but we tend to flee from that uh, thing because it's it takes a really long time, and you have to die to yourself so much. You, like you have to, you know, basically give up total control of your life and any sort of sense of like once I'm done doing this duty or this responsibility, then all I'm going to be responsible for is myself, and that's when I'll finally be able to enjoy myself. And that's my that's my whole struggle with the things that I'm attached to or addicted to is that you know letting go of any any attachment. Um, it's like, okay, I'm already a priest. So that means a lot of my day is devoted to other people's needs already mm -hmm. or, or a mission bigger than myself. It's nice to have just a few minutes at the end of the day to just watch TV or, you know, whatever is the thing that is the, is for me. There's just nothing, there's just nothing there. Once you start feeding yourself, once you start trying to use your power or autonomy to be responsible only unto yourself, you you know, that's where you become a slave. But true freedom is in the abandoning of every, every right to um, abdicate responsibility, basically, for the other and being faithful to the weak, which is really, really stinking hard. But you look at a guy like Vanier and you're like, yeah, well, he died, but he's in heaven now. Wow, that guy was a human being. And I'm not always. Sometimes I'm a drone. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's kind of the tension for me there is how I would word it is like with I sometimes in my thinking 
or when I think about something like that, like a large community or a a guy like Vanier that you think, man, he is a he was a true human being, at least in my you know experience and understanding of of him. But I will. It's almost like I categorize it because I can't like pin him down in my mind. And I think of it as like I remember after towards around the last election in 2016, there was all kinds of talk about like the Benedictine option or the Benedict option of like this retreat from the world. Um, and sometimes that's kind of how I place things like the large community is like, well, you have to in order to live like that or to be free, like that level of freedom, you have to go and like just live in one of those communities all the time or et cetera. But the truth is like the the deeper level is I think what you're saying, Bisc, is like, no, that level of freedom is possible for like a, you know, a 2019 you know, parish diocesan priest and all the kind of responsibilities and stuff going on with that to actually live at that level, even when you're home at the rectory by yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very hard to, to translate or, or to, I don't know. Cause you know, it's like, I don't live in community, which there's, you know, like gifts in that as, as well. Um, but does that make sense? What I'm what I'm trying to like dig at a little yeah. bit there because it's like, but that I don't think that, like, I don't think that Vanier was retreating from the world and how he lived at all. Um, but it's like, well, I can't pin it down, so I just kind of like try to categorize it and say, okay, well, like that's great, but you know that's not my life, so I guess it's impossible. Um, well, this gets to like a, a line from the Corone book, which struck me as uh, we tend to abuse our freedom by f- fleeing from reality, you know? So that's like what I'm saying about the me time at the end of the day is, okay, I can just for a moment not be, not have my life completely consecrated, meaning mm. completely de- devoted to someone else besides myself. Like, yeah, here's the time where I can flee from that and live in the fantasy that my life is all about me even just for a few minutes you know um so that's a lie i don't have to be living in a a place where i'm you know picking up destitute people from gutters like mother Teresa, or you know taking care of people's physical needs but my life is not about me so even if i'm alone in the in the rectory or whatever or have to write a homily for tomorrow or do you know something not flashy or you know documentary worthy but part of the trajectory of my life which is outward toward the other um like i need to just flee to reality is caron's thing like you need to kind of like adjure contra and go towards and and live in the pain of the solitude or the feeling of like lord when's it gonna be my turn or you know and i can feel that when i when i'm living kind of a dissipation or a distraction Mm-hmm. that my prayer is perfunctory you know like if i do an examination of conscience before bed i'm like oh i haven't really been relating to god very truthfully today you know so mm. it, it gets it's harder to lift my mind and heart to to god but sometimes i'll feel like yeah i've been <laughs> i've been gritting through the reality of my life and my existence so i feel like very comfortable with god or very familiar with him right now because I'm not living in some fake world. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's all about reality, dude. Living the real, man. It's about taking that red pill, dude. Getting out of the matrix. (laughs) Dude. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And that was kind of like the, the holy hour that I was talking about yesterday. I've been running around doing all these really fun things. And yesterday, like I could feel this nervousness in the back of my mind, in the back of my mind heart. Uh, and your mart, I, your mind, my heart. Mart. <laughs> you know, you say like the eye of your heart was yeah. like the mind of my heart. I'm like, dude, I know, you know, the pastors, he's going to be gone. I've been living with like six of my siblings at home and I've been running around doing all this really fun stuff, just people all over the place. And like doing kind of like this noteworthy, you know, like I'm hanging out with college students and they're taking photos of me. And I'm like seeing it on the internet and all this like really fun, flashy business. Well, I could feel last night is like, I am going to be by myself. 
tonight and I am hours away from anybody that I even know. And I could just feel this like, not some like anxiety, super nervousness, but already planning on what I was going to do to run away from that Uh last night. And the holy hour was super important. I don't even know if I ever, this is going to sound bad, but I don't even know if I ever actually like spoke to the Lord deeply. But after like 45 minutes of sitting there and just sitting there, like he finally, I finally like broke, broke through the surface anxiety, like the surface wave and was able to like, to enter into something a little bit deeper than that. And then just chose to like, to kind of lean into whatever I was going to experience tonight instead of, instead of just being taken away by my immediate feeling of wanting to flee from reality and wanting to run all over the place. And again, like I don't even, the big moment was just being able to like the Lord kind of breaking through that initial rocky like surface and, and and saying, no, I want to choose to actually be here tonight. And I want to actually choose to be a part of this parish and a part of this rectory life and all this. And well, I guess it's not private anymore because I'm speaking it on the internet. But part of that means I want to <laughs> choose to to be a priest tonight. Um, and again, like I didn't, I don't, I don't even know if I spoke to the Lord like the whole holy hour. But I did choose that in the holy hour for the night to come. And it ended up being a great night, and I was able to get a lot of sleep. And now I'm able to talk to you guys. Um, and yeah. And, and then when you texted and we're like, Hey, you want a podcast tomorrow morning? I was prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I didn't know I was going to be prepared for it. Um, yeah, but, it, but it's super duper easy. And to just do like, honestly, to run away from whatever you're feeling, um, instead of to, to plunge into that. But yeah, standing in the presence of reality, um, I don't know. I, I find that it's easier to do with with folks who have like again the exterior is more um more extremely different than it's like, oh okay, here's a very clear example of somebody who maybe is in poverty or has a disability. I'm gonna choose to to see Jesus in them. Like I do that decently well like that's I find a lot of joy in that a lot of freedom in it but how do I do that also with the people that I work with in the parish here or my siblings at home or my mom and my dad like I think that's part of okay how does this apply to me as a Dawson priest in 2019 in you know some town in Georgia Um, and I find that that's the thing that I I really really struggle with is treating all, all people like they're people instead of looking at them like they're idiots. Right. <laughs> Dude, I think some terrible things about people. I'm like, wait a second. Okay, this is a person as well mm-hmm. um, who's also made in the image and likeness of Christ even though they don't have mondo social or exterior physical deformities that indicate that it's the presence of Christ to me. Nonetheless, yeah, um, it's the same reality. And that's something that I bump up into more often than not. Um, yeah. You know what I was thinking when you were talking about that? This could be a little bit of a stretch, but uh, it's been well, Haiti, our trip to Haiti a couple years ago, gosh, a year and a half ago now, has been coming up in prayer recently. But I was just thinking when you were talking about that, of just the experience of being in Port-au-Prince with the MCs and having that amazing week down there, like life-changing, you know? And then I remember like two days after I got back, I went up to the Focus SLS conference in Chicago for a couple days. And it was at this like super swanky hotel and everything like that. And I remember thinking, I was like standing in line to check into my room and there was someone in front of me, or <clears throat> maybe I, if I'm remembering right, but at some point there was someone like, legitimately so, I think it was like a frustrating moment, and you know, but like complaining about like, 
the hotel room not being ready or something like that. And it just like took me back to this like children's hospital in mm-hmm. Port-au-Prince with the MCs. And it was just, you know, cause I remember kind of thinking at the time, it's like, I have to be present here, like at this super nice hotel, like the people I'm around, et cetera. Um, but it was just so dang hard yeah. to do in that moment. Um, but you know, and then, you know, I don't know, you just kind of get back like into the swing of things at, at some point, but, um, like talking about just like the freedom to see, see reality. It's like, go spend a week with the MCs, man. Um, but I just remember that thought of like that tension of, gosh, how do I like, how do I just love concretely the people in front of me, you know, and like the freedom to do that and not wish that I was back somewhere or with a certain group, et cetera, but actually just have like the presence of like mind and soul and heart to like be right here where I'm at and see God right here. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I don't know if that relates, but that's just what I was thinking of. Yeah. I think it's a way of, yeah, it's a way of being and like John Vanier, he, he so thoroughly believed in the image and likeness of God in every single person that, um, like he constantly chose to, again, live in the presence of reality, but that wasn't something he just turned on and off that even in the very, very, very small things, he chose to be there. It seems like, I I don't know his life. I never met him obviously or anything like that, but that was one thing my dad always hit on with me that I hated to hear as a teenager. He's like, Mike, he would talk about it with virtue, but essentially people, people aren't switches. You can't like turn a switch on and off and say, I'm going to do this now and I'm not going to do this now. And then expect to, to live in accord with the way that God asks us to, to live in accord with God's will. And I find that to be the case totally with the reality thing. I can feel when I'm fleeing from reality and it's not something that I can just f- turn on and off. But like once I start to feed that beast, then <laughs> I'm like totally removed from reality mm-hmm. uh, even further and further and further. And, and, and I guess I just think of it like relating back to this experience last night. I had no idea what was going to come for me today or like last night even. But the invitation to live in reality at five o'clock yesterday evening was very, very small. But it was also the thing that I think like kind of plunged me into something a little bit deeper that was going on that prepared me to live in accord with God's will today that I would have, like I didn't choose that, but I did choose to be with the Lord the best that I could yesterday. And then I was able to encounter reality last night and then again this morning and to say yes to this invitation to podcast. And, um, and, and so it's not just like a one-time thing, but it's like a manner of being in existence. Um, and it's not something, at least I can't turn on and off. Like yeah. I, I can't do that within myself. And, and that's the Theresian thing that Baron always talks about is like, I really think that's the little way is that's choosing love by choosing to receive reality, Hmm. which, which doesn't sound that great, but it's also a deep theological belief that like, okay, if God is speaking everything into being and holding everything in existence by speaking love, then like this moment is actually better than anything I could ever make. And I want to choose to receive this love that God the Father is giving me by sitting in my office in a town in Georgia. Like, that's a massive theological belief that we act out of in these little ways. I was just going to say, yeah, because it's like, I mean, talk about trying to distill, I don't know what you would call this as like a rule of life, the Three Dogs North rules of life. Coming soon, you can check it on Amazon.com. But... um, but it's like a very, very, very deep thing that does translate into just 
extremely ordinary everyday circumstances something like that like last night being able to see it or even like talk about being able to tell the truth man well like being able to tell the truth actually means being able to like see and and clearly articulate the truth too mm-hmm. and a guy like Vanier or whoever else um but it just this is everywhere like whatever this thing is or this principle is like it's just everywhere because it's i'm thinking of like i remember father karchi talking about this and this was at the time i didn't think too much of it but it is it's like a really really great point of him talking like at some point it's like when you ordained a priest you know people come to you that he loved that uh benedict line of like they expect you to be a spiritual master or whatever the line was to actually be able to guide them in the spiritual life and he was very concrete in it um, in one of his talks of like you will have to in a sense help them like if they come to you for guidance or spiritual direction they may not know like really what spiritual direction is and so you may have to guide them a little bit but it it can translate into these simple things I'm thinking like with college students is like very often kind of what is foremost on their minds and hearts is like relationships you know and what's going on on there and it really can just like you know play so much into emotions and what they think about and what I thought about when I was in college etc but just things like being able to see the world kind of shrewdly like this and being able to tell the truth of it's it's a funny line I don't know if it relates exactly but I was thinking of um, like just talking to um, you know young gals oftentimes not always but it's like one of the things that I'll go back to a lot if they have a question on a relationship or want to talk about something, et cetera. It's like, well, if you're like dating a guy or going out with a guy, et cetera, like just remember if he's a jerk to the waiter and he's really nice to you, he's a jerk. <laughs> like that's true, mm-hmm. you know? And like that's a, that's a true way to see the world and be able to kind of call it how, how it is there um anyway i'm gonna stop talking i feel like that was pretty scattered but i was just trying to process there as you were speaking yeah yeah no and i think that's that's a hilarious point because it's not always the most enjoyable thing because it would be better to to say like oh no this is a fun date that was just the exception it's not actually like that he is he's not that way and you can live in fantasy land there exactly yep connor that's your whole fantasy deal it's like Mm -hmm. nope sometimes reality doesn't seem as good um, or not as fun or pleasurable or whatever, but Hey, guess what? He's still a jerk. Yeah. It's going to cost you something now or later. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I really, I like the Therese little way thing as an affirmation of reality. Also Chizek, Walter Chizek. And he leadeth me. Oh my goodness. That's pretty much his master theme is, God's will is this concrete circumstances in which we find ourselves in faith. Doing God's will is saying yes to it, basically not willing to be somewhere else or doing something else. But, um, actually weirdly, a friend of mine, Nikki just texted me this question. Um, first thing in the morning, how can you reconcile these two truths? God has us exactly where he wants us to be according to his purpose. And we have free will to choose and plan our lives. Um, it's oddly oddly appropriate actually for this question. I think there's a, there's a deeper, I mean, there's the surface answer, which is that God can know things, um, like that are going to happen in the future and provide for them, but still leave us up to choosing, you know, like the paradox is obviously there that how can God know? And I'm free, but I think the real meat of it to me in my own life is, is realizing like, yeah, everything is a gift. I haven't decided any of this stuff where where and when i am what my life is about you know like i've he's given me the dignity of being responsible for my choices but god like to think that i'm in control is a total illusion and i mentioned this in a daily homily yesterday i've got this friend who's 99 who's dying but he's been on hospice for like a couple weeks and hasn't eaten anything and i went to see him the other day and he's like one of the holiest people i've ever known he's basically saying I'm so tired of living, you know, but I can't die. Um, 
I keep falling asleep and hoping I don't wake up and I just keep waking up and I can't move. I can't see, I can't hear, you know, but his mind is fully there. His heart is fully there and all he can do is pray, but he's completely at God's mercy and the mercy of nature, you know? Um, and I think to myself, boy, I can get in my car and go where I please. And, um, and I'm in control, but that's just an illusion. Like at some point, we're all confronted with the limitations of our nature and that we are not God. And so what it means to do God's will, quote unquote, is to, is to face and confront reality, you know, as it's, it's sort of like till we have faces, you know, like getting an actual face and, um, and an identity in relationship to another, um, instead of trying to like manage it on our own or, or create a false reality in which we're the main actor or the protagonist or the creator. Um, yeah. Yeah. You said a lot it's, there. People aren't switches. Is that what you said your dad said? People, yeah. Or I, I'm not, a, I don't have a switch. You don't have a switch. Like, yeah. I don't have an on off switch, which is you, disappointing. It's a habit of being, <laughs> you have to, <sighs> you have to, yeah, create the habit of doing it, which is why it's like John Vanier says in the little things of like feeding someone or stopping being an, addic- an addictive behavior, you know, like it's not a big existential like I'm going to I mean, that itself is is reveals you, you don't have a switch. You can't just take a yoga class and be enlightened all of a sudden. You have to. <laughs> You have to live this every single day. What? <laughs> I bought those leggings for nothing. <laughs> I paid for this block of classes, so I'll be staying. <laughs> um, I got to get going, guys. This is awesome to catch up. It all comes back to the water skiing squirrel mm-hmm. in my the mind. Water skiing like, squirrel. That squirrel is embracing. Like everyone else says, squirrels can't do that. And that squirrel says, I'll show you reality. <laughs> we yeah. should have a. morning show with call-in guests and (laughs) and little human interest pieces and reporters out in the field a weatherman (laughs) we do need reporters out in the field we need robbie kata to wear a lab coat (laughs) in in science goggles Uh, that reminds me of like when we first started the podcast i may have mentioned this somebody came up to me and said hey i listen to your podcast it's really great you know what you guys should do is a daily youtube show like, <laughs> that's such unhelpful criticism. <laughs> hey, I really um, liked your band. I, you know what you really should do is a uh, full orchestra. <laughs> you guys um, have a great band. You should mime. You should be <laughs> yeah, you should, yeah, you should be astronauts, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be even better. Um, one observation that I wanted to throw out to you. This is quick, quick observation from the Peterson Baron thing. Cause apparently my internet quit working while y'all were talking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, is one thing that struck me big time is obviously they're both super intellects. They're both Mondo brains. Um, and I'm always moved by how Peterson, how moved Peterson gets. Yeah. When he's he multiple crying multiple times. Tons. And it, you know, his wife is going through a hard time. Yeah, she's sick. She's sick and, mm-hmm. And if you've read his book, the daughter who does the intros, she uh, had like some kind of really bad chronic pain disease yeah. when she was a little girl. So he, yeah, he's gone through some stuff. Yeah, he's mm. yeah, for sure. It's not uh, it's not just ideas for him. Like that's oh, very yeah. much a lived experience. But but w- whenever Peterson talks, and I've, I mean I've watched a decent amount of him, um, he he can look in various places in different ways and you know it's a lot of it's temperamental and different things like that but whenever baron speaks and like even in the interview he he is so engaged in the other like yeah. the just the way that he looks and talks to other people um one of the most striking differences i saw between them is again their intellects are monstrous and i think they have uh, a lot in common philosophically in the way that they think and even can articulate things, but Baron is a Christian and Peterson's an intellect. And honestly, that was the biggest difference that I saw. It's like Peterson, his head is kind of in the clouds and Baron, his, like his head is, is there, but his heart, he is totally focused on the other person. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And you can just see that by the way that he looks and speaks and talks to other people. Like he, he is deeply interested in the other and they can both talk at a pretty high level. But like, I think legitimately Baron is, <laughs> he does it with love and not that I don't know Peterson, you know, maybe he, he does as well. Um, but that was just striking to me. I think he Baron spoke as a Christian intellect and Peterson spoke as a, as an intellect. Yeah, even at the end of the episode, he asks him, like, what's your goal? What do you hope happens because of your work? And, and Baron was kind of taken off guard, I think, where Peterson might say, you know, he hopes for this social change or this kind of cultural opinion uh, shift or whatever due to his work or his his teaching. Whereas Baron basically just said, well, I'm a priest, so I, I hope uh, that souls are drawn to the love of Christ and to know him in the Catholic Church to be saved <laughs> like that's basically his goal um and he gets into more specifics of like how his youtube videos do that and stuff but yeah, yeah it's an act of love and that's honestly like truth telling i mean i thought oh yeah you're gonna be a prophet you're gonna go out there and preach hard truths from the pulpit and stuff honestly that that doesn't cost you anything um getting up and preaching even things that are not necessarily popular um you're gonna get just as much praise as criticism if not more What's really tough is telling the truth in the really little situations where it costs you something. Like, hmm. I'm going to have to tell this person something that's going to make us both pretty uncomfortable, but it's true and needs to be said. You know, yeah. those that's where fidelity to the weak, fidelity to the truth, um, fidelity in general, which is a huge John Vanier uh, theme. Just watch this movie, Summertime in the Forest. That's your homework. I'm going to sign off but it's there's a great scene where he's there's a, a couple of the residents who are engaged and he gives this little engagement speech it's beautiful stuff summertime in the forest summertime in the forest i'll summertime check it out in the forest what's the uh i was trying to think of a i don't want to go back and listen to this whole episode and think of a title what do you guys think for a title mm-hmm. i was thinking something about that switches thing people don't have switches or maybe just switches no switch. I usually like to have it be an exact quote from something someone said. Um, um, I, water I skiing squirrels. <laughs> water <Yeah>. skiing squirrel. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to go with. Are you ready? Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. And down.